just want to extend my welcome to you. I'm so glad that you've joined us for this online service this afternoon. We are right near the beginning of a series working through the New Testament book of Luke, uh, and we're going to be picking that up and carrying on today from Luke chapter 4, verse 14. I would encourage you, if you have a Bible, please do open it up and find Luke 4, 14. Uh, if you don't have one, then don't worry. The words will come up on the screen so you can read along as we read together this afternoon. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get straight into it. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken to us clearly in your word. Lord, I pray that you would help us this afternoon as we open and as we read together. Would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear? Would you help us have hearts ready to receive what you would speak to us today? Would you help us to understand it, but not just understand it, receive it gladly and apply it in our lives. We say, Holy Spirit, would you take your word and cause it to live for us today, that it would make a material difference as we head into this week. It would make a material difference to our our Monday and Tuesday and through on into the week and the weeks and months and years ahead. Lord, we ask it for your glory. Amen. Good. Well, we are, as I said, going to be reading from Luke chapter 4, verse 14 to 44. This is the next in our series through Luke that we have called On the Road with Jesus. And we've called the series that because through the book of Luke, we see Jesus uh, make a number of significant journeys. And as he travels around and meets different people and encounters different people, through the book of Luke, we get a glimpse into what it was like to be with Jesus on those journeys, what it was like to be there as he met with people along the way, as he spoke to them, as he healed them, as he brought freedom into their lives. Uh, And it's an amazing book as we read this, this life story of Christ Jesus. And so we're going to read today. We're picking up in the series that I mentioned last week together. If you missed it, you can catch up online. But just to give you a quick uh, kind of summary now, last week we read from the first part of chapter 4, 4, verse 1 through 13. uh, And we read about Jesus being led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and there in the wilderness being tempted by the devil. And we read wonderfully that where we cave in to temptation, where we, each one of us, has fallen in sin in different ways, Jesus wonderfully resisted temptation. He resisted the devil and he came through that trial. He succeeded where all else fail. Tempted just like we are to rebel against God and yet he stayed the course. He resisted his human impulses and appetites and he held fast to God's word and he stayed true and obedient to his father. And what we're going to read today follows straight on to that. We read that Jesus came out of the wilderness just as he had gone into it, full of the Holy Spirit. And then we're going to read that he traveled around the local area 
teaching in the synagogues. And the bulk of the text we're going to read today together is about one particular occasion where Jesus sat in his hometown and spoke in the synagogue. So let's read together from verse 14. We're just going to read the first couple of verses and see where we get started. So we read this from 4.14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So Jesus traveled around the local area, teaching in the synagogues, and the people loved it. They lapped it up. They were really, really impressed by Jesus' teaching. They praised him. We read they glorified him. Now, we need to understand that when it says they glorified him in that way, they weren't worshipping him as God, and they weren't surrendering to him as Lord. He just gained a kind of celebrity status from his brilliant teaching. People loved him and received him as a great teacher. Now, I don't know if you grew up with someone who went on to be famous. Maybe someone who you were at school with went on to have a career as a professional sports person or musician or artist or some other public figure of note. Maybe you went to school with someone who is a well-known TV personality or political figure. But chances are, if you did, when you see them on telly or you read about them in the papers, you want people to know that you know them. You like to tell people, like, oh, I went to school with them. We used to play football together. Or maybe you, you, know, you played tennis with them and now they're a professional tennis player. And you go, oh, yeah, no, we used, to, we used to knock around together. We love the kind of fame by association. We love a champion. It makes us feel good about ourselves somehow. You know, after the London Olympics in 2012, post boxes around the UK were painted gold in honour of athletes from these towns who had won gold medals. So if, if your hometown hero, maybe the person you went to school with, happened to be one of those gold medal athletes, then your town got a gold postbox in their honor. Towns clamored to celebrate their association to that athlete, that person, to, to stake their claim on these heroes. Ilfracombe in Devon, I don't know if you've ever been there, I, it's a really beautiful town, uh, I, I enjoy visiting there, but it boasts a large kind of interactive triple jump statue monument thing commemorating the world record-breaking accomplishments of hometown hero Jonathan Edwards. Victorious football teams, you've probably seen it on telly, when they win the league or they win some big cup, are welcomed home in open-top bus parades. Pop stars or other celebrities or dignitaries might be given a big golden key or a certificate about the freedom of the city. And that's the kind of commotion that's beginning to stir around Jesus, this sensational teacher. 
And today we jump in at a point when Jesus returns to his hometown, Nazareth, to teach in the synagogue. Jesus, this this local boy who's become the talk of the whole region, celebrated for his incredible teaching, has come home. And people gather to hear, what will he have to say? What amazing and wonderful teaching will he bring to us? Well, let's read from verse 16. What did Jesus say? We read from 16, And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty those who are oppressed. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. (laughs) I, I love this scene partly because it seems so odd culturally for us. So Jesus stands up, reads these incredible words, and then he goes and sits down, and it feels all rather sudden and actually kind of slightly amusing to our modern Western kind of view. (laughs) But actually, if we understand from what we know about early synagogue practices, someone would be invited to stand and read from Scripture, which Jesus was on this occasion. And so they would stand as a mark of respect for reading the Word of God. As they read the scrolls, God's words to them, they stood to read as a mark of respect. And then they would sit down. Jesus wasn't doing something abrupt or unusual here. This was what was expected of him. They would sit down then to expound on what they had just read, to bring teaching about what they had just read. So Jesus reads. He reads from Isaiah. This was a a messianic prophecy. It was a, a, a foretelling in God's word about what the Messiah, the, the promised rescuer, would do. This passage was a passage of promise. It was a passage of hope about the one who would come from the line of David to save God's people. And having read it, Jesus takes his seat to begin teaching. We read, The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. He has got everyone's attention with eyes fixed on him is open ready to hear what this local hero teacher is going to say to them and he says this has been fulfilled in your hearing in effect he says of these words from Isaiah that he's just read this is about me I'm him. I'm here. I'm the one you've been waiting for. And they absolutely love him for it. 
we read from verse 22, all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, is not this Joseph's son? I'm sorry, I think I might have missed a slide. Um, so hopefully you've, you can manage to pick up in your Bibles. But he, he says it's about him. And then he, they don't go, oh, hang on a minute. What do you mean it's about you? No, it says they spoke well of him and they marveled at the gracious words coming from his mouth. They love him as a teacher. And this is even better than they hoped. This, this hometown hero, this great teacher that, that everyone has begun to revere and, and kind of clamor around and get excited about, has just said, I'm the one you've been waiting for. They're not cross that he's just claimed to be the Messiah. They're excited and they marvel at the words coming from his mouth. Why? Because they think that he's just told them that they're going to get everything they want. See, remember, at this time, they had been waiting for hundreds of years for the promised Messiah, for the rescuer to come. And their expectation is that this Messiah will bring a political and military victory and freedom for them their expectation is that the Messiah will be a great king who will rule over them justly and will usher in a, a whole new golden era for them as a nation, as a people. One that will be even greater than the, the golden era under the reign of King David that they hark back to. Those were the days. Those were the days. And, and we're going to have a king who's, who's going to bring about something even more glorious than that. His rule will bring economic prosperity. They'll, they'll no longer be poor. His rule will bring freedom from their oppressors. They'll no longer live under Roman rule in occupied territory. They'll be free from the corrupt and burdensome tax system that they were living under. In their own worldview, their expectation is that Jesus has just said he was going to bring them the good life. And all of this from Joseph's son, the local boy, has come good. I mean, more so than we could possibly hope. They love him when they receive him as a teacher. And even when they see him as someone who will bring them economic and political freedom, they love him. I don't know if you've noticed, but many people today are just like that. Happy to accept a, a Jesus who backs up their agenda. Happy to receive a Jesus who will bring them what they think they need and what they think they deserve, happy to co-opt Jesus into their politics. When it comes down to it, we all want a comfortable Christ. And so did they. But it doesn't take very long for the mood to shift in the synagogue. Because Jesus wants them to grasp the point that they have actually missed the point. That when he said he was the Messiah, he's not 
going to work that out the way they're expecting. And so we read from verse 23. And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet acceptable in his hometown. Now this is a really odd statement, given the fact that at this point in time, they are all absolutely in awe of him and praising him. He is very welcome and acceptable in his hometown. They're all wondering at what he's saying. They're all marveling at him. Hanging on his every word. Enthusing about what he's just said he's going to do for them. And he says, you will say, well, they have said, but you will say, physician, heal yourself. Now they hadn't said it, but he knew they would. And indeed, when Jesus was on the cross, people did. Or words very much to that effect. You saved others. Can't you save yourself? Look at you on the cross. Can't you save yourself? You've done it for others. And he hasn't even journeyed into Capernaum yet in Luke's narrative. So why say these things to them? Well, Jesus is preparing them. He's preparing them for what he's about to say in order to help them understand what he's just said about the prophecy from Isaiah. See, this do it here too notion that he's said they're going to say to him is an arrogant position. He knows that, that actually they're thinking selfishly, that they want him to prioritize them. They think this, they have this ownership over their hometown hero. He's come for us. He's, he's our boy. He's come to make our lives good. He's come to fulfill all our dreams and make things how we think they should be. He knows that he, they want him to prioritize them to show them what he can do, to bless them. They don't care about others. It's this bless us. Bless us. After all, we deserve it. We're your people. Hmm. In saying what he says, he's pointing out their pride and saying, because of your proud hearts, you'll say this. You'll say do what you've done elsewhere. Do it here. Bless us. And then Jesus continues to clarify his point to help them understand exactly what it is that he means to do in fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah and the fact that it's actually really not about them specifically at all. And the penny will drop as Jesus further clarifies. And when it does, the mood changes Let's read again from verse 25. But in truth I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three years and six months and a great famine came over the land and Elijah was sent to none of them but only to Zarephath 
in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. Jesus gives two examples from Israel's history to help them understand what he's talking about. And they seem kind of obscure to us until we understand some of the context. He gives these two examples from history to help them understand what he was really saying, and they absolutely lose the plot. And they're livid with him. It says all in the synagogue are filled with wrath, and we're going to read in a few verses' time that that leads to them actually there and then taking Jesus out and trying to kill him. They are furious. Well, why are they so mad about these two stories from their history and about what Jesus is saying now? Well, because in both stories, Jesus gives them from their history, God shows favor not to the Israelites, not to them, but instead to people outside of Israel. God doesn't bless the people that they are expecting him to bless in these stories. The favor of God is instead given to the Gentiles those outside, those who they think are excluded from the favor of God, who are undeserving of the favor of God. In the case of Elijah, who was he sent to? We read, who provided shelter and food for him in the midst of a famine? Who? A foreign widow. There were widows aplenty amongst the Israelites. Surely, God could have sent him to one of them who could have provided shelter and who through God could have made a miraculous provision of food. But he didn't. God sent him outside of the people of Israel to someone who they considered beyond the promises of God. It's interesting, right? And Elisha, who saw God bring healing to Naaman, a Syrian, an enemy. You know, Naaman was a wealthy enemy army commander who was oppressing the Israelites. And and who does God heal? Who does he show favor towards and mercy towards? Who does he bring wholeness and healing to? Not the many, many lepers that were amongst the Israelites. No. Not one of them were healed. No, God chose to show favor to Naaman. What Jesus wanted them to see was this. They were celebrating and welcoming him when he first taught them because they thought he'd come to bless them to make all their dreams come true. They wanted Jesus on their terms, and he let them know that's not how it was going to be. He was effectively saying, you think that you're righteous because you were born into the right family line, and you go through the motions of religiosity. You think that means that I've come to proclaim the Lord's favor on you. 
but you haven't even begun to understand the scope of what I've come to do. Jesus wants them to understand their religious devotion won't save them. Their ethnicity won't save them. What qualifies someone to experience and receive the favor of God is a humble acceptance of their need of God. And Jesus is saying to them, your stance is pride. You're celebrating because you think that I've come to show the world that you're the best, but I haven't. I've come to proclaim good news to anyone and everyone who is ready and humble enough to receive and respond to it. These illustrations from Israel's history that Jesus uses were a warning. When God's people rejected God's plans and his ways, he blessed other people instead. They missed out. The widows in Israel didn't host Elijah. The lepers in Israel didn't receive healing from God, but Naaman, their enemy, did instead. And Jesus wants them to say, to see that he's the Messiah, but it's not going to look the way they think it will. He's not just come for them, but actually he's come to bless all all the nations of the world, that whoever trusts in him might find salvation. He wants them to see that if they don't humble themselves and accept that they are spiritually blind and poor, just like the Gentiles, the ones who they're looking down their noses at, the ones who they despise, then actually in their pride and in their arrogance, they will miss out. Jesus has come to bring good news, to proclaim the favor of the Lord on all those who recognize their spiritual poverty, their absolute and utter need of God, who recognize their blindness, who recognize their complete need of a savior. And as they understood what he was saying, that he'd come for those on the outside, those on the margins, those who they considered unclean, those who they considered beyond the scope of God's grace and God's reach, they were absolutely and utterly incensed. This was a complete affront to their pride. How dare he say that? We read from verse 29, they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down over the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. They seize him and they try to kill him. They will not receive him and his message. That is not the kind of Messiah they were looking for. They wanted one that would pander to their pride, one that would affirm them as they are. They were ready to receive Jesus as a great teacher, yes. They were even ready to receive Jesus as the Messiah, as a bringer of good news and as a hero, warrior, king. But they were not ready or willing to submit to him as Lord and Saviour. The one thing they needed, 
was the one thing they weren't prepared for. They thought that religious observance and racial pedigree would earn them God's favor when the Messiah came. And now he's here and he says, I'm going to do everything needed on your behalf. Your religious observance won't earn you favor with God. Being born into the right family won't earn you favor with God. I am the one who is going to do that. All you need is the humility to accept that you are poor and blind and captive and you just can't get yourself free. You're just as poor and blind as, and captive as the Gentiles who you despise and they reject him for it. And he walks away. And to the best of our knowledge, actually, Jesus doesn't return again after this point to Nazareth. Their rejection of him was complete. In the rest of chapter 4, we see some snapshots of Jesus' ministry, which we just don't have time to read all of today, but I'd encourage you to read it uh, at home during this week, maybe even later today. But you'll see as you read, Jesus goes out to do what he has just said he was going to do. We see incredible miracles as Jesus heals many and brings freedom to people from the bondage of sickness and spiritual oppression. They're, they are impressive miracles, and it's right and appropriate as we read them that they should cause us to go, wow, <laughs> Jesus is amazing. Like, just that is stunning. It's right that it should do that, but more than simply the physical healing miracles themselves. These miracles are, are recorded here to help us understand something more about Jesus as the Messiah. They're, they're signposts that point us to a greater truth, a deeper healing that Jesus came to bring, a lasting freedom, a true experience, as he said earlier when he quoted Isaiah, of the favor of God, which Jesus had come to bring for those who acknowledged their spiritual poverty who repent of their sin and, and trust in him, regardless of their background, regardless of their culture, regardless of their socioeconomic status. Those who humble themselves, we see in scripture and we see today, those who humble themselves find grace, find freedom, find true sight, receive everlasting riches and experience the true favor of the Lord. This is why Jesus came. But those stuck in religious arrogance or moralistic pride, those who don't believe that they need to turn their back on their sin and turn to God to save them, those who don't believe that they truly are in need of a Savior who will open their blind eyes, who will bring them out of spiritual complete poverty that who will rescue them from captivity to sin those who don't believe they need that those who already believe that they deserve God's favor well of course God loves me I, of course I deserve the favor of God I'm I'm a really good person 
you know, I've been helping people out during the, the pandemic. Like, I'm, I'm a really good person. I do lots for charity. I'm a, I'm a good person. Of course, I deserve the favor of God. People who believe the problem is out there rather than in here. The problem's with everyone and everything else rather than with them. Well, like those in Nazareth who took Jesus out to the hill to try and take his life as they utterly rejected his message. Like those people, if you're stuck in pride, arrogance, a belief that you are good enough, that you don't need a saviour, that you don't need forgiveness, that you are basically a good person. Those people, we read here, they lose out. Jesus walks away. Force himself on them. They lose out. Jesus wanted them to see it. And he wants you to see that the problem is here. That the freedom he's come to bring is broader and deeper than just finance or physical healing. It's not just for those in financial hardship or those who recognize but it's for those who recognize their poverty of spirit and their need of a savior from their sin. The favor of God was not just for the Jews Jesus came to proclaim, but it was for all who humbled themselves, who turned from their sin and trusted in Christ to save them. Freedom from captivity to sin and shame. Not about ticking religious boxes, being born into the right family or going through the motions, but about receiving Jesus not as a great teacher or even as a prophet, not as a political ally or a bringer of nice things. See, these people in Nazareth were very eager to receive Jesus as all of those things. A great teacher, a prophet, a political ally, a a bringer of nice things, but not as Lord and Saviour. You miss God's salvation if you fail to receive Jesus as Lord and Saviour. If you don't place all your hope in him and trust him as the one who provides righteousness for you and pays the price for your sin, then you will miss it. But today is a day of salvation. Today is a day of the favor of the Lord. That's a a key part of what Jesus said that we must not miss, but it's for those who believe in him and trust in him. And so I want to ask you today, have you done that? Are you standing in religious pride and arrogance, believing that you are not in need? but you're just looking for Jesus to be a bringer of nice things or a political ally or just a a good moral teacher for you, a kind of good guide through the journey of life. Don't stay there. Don't stay there. I want to implore you today, believe 
on him. Trust in him to save you. Repent of your sin, your rebellion against God, of your pride, and receive from Jesus forgiveness. Come to him poor and acknowledge your poverty and receive from him the riches of eternal life. Come to him captive and release and receive from him release freedom from your bondage to sin and shame come to him blind and receive from him true sight to see him as lord and savior as the king of kings come to him humbly and receive from him the favor of god it's on offer for you today Don't stand proud and aloof. Don't stay in spiritual blindness and poverty. Jesus didn't return to Nazareth. Their rejection of him was final. And there'll be a day when it's too late to call on him. When your rejection of him is final too. Just let that sink in. There will be a day when it's too late. There was a day when it was too late for these people as they rejected him and he walked away. There will be a day when it's too late for you too. So whilst today is still today, whilst there's still breath in your lungs, call on him that you might be saved. Call on him that you might find forgiveness from your sins, that your conscience might be cleansed. Call on him that you might receive the favor of the Lord. Find forgiveness and wholeness in him. This is the day. Today is the day for recovery of sight for those who are spiritually blind. This is the day of freedom for captives. That's why Christ came. Don't miss it. Don't miss him. I'm going to pray and then hand over to Joe and the band to lead us in one final song. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you came. Not just to to kind of add nice things to our life, not just to, to kind of, uh, you know, reinforce what we already think, not just to... Uh, to make us feel good about ourselves, but you came to save us. You came to bring us true and lasting hope. You came to bring us real freedom, freedom from captivity to sin, freedom to enjoy you, freedom to live with you forever, freedom to experience the favor of God for which we were created. Lord, I pray that you would speak to our hearts right now. Lord, I ask you for people who have come into this service today who are standing at a distance. People who've come into this service today who at this point in time have been saying, I'm a good person. I don't need a saviour. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to them as you needed to reveal to those in the temple when Jesus spoke their spiritual blindness? Would you reveal to them their absolute poverty and need of you? Would you reveal to them their 
fact that they are captive to sin and yet they weren't made for that. They were made for freedom and you came to bring it. Lord Jesus, we put our trust in you now. I put my trust in you again now, Jesus. Lord, would you open our eyes that we would see you. Jesus, I pray that we wouldn't this week pick up again the chains of slavery to sin, but that we would remember and celebrate the fact that you came to proclaim freedom for the captives. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be those this week who live free, free the way you intended it to be for your glory and for the good of those around us. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen.